On CGRU 1280 AM in Toronto, you're listening to Built to Play. I'm Armin Bali, And I'm Daniel Rosen. I first played Kingdom Hearts when I was nine. When I first heard of a game that combined the Final Fantasy series with Disney, I was obsessed. It sounded absurd. Back then, we didn't have cinematic universes, just TV shows that occasionally crossed over and movies that hinted at a wider world. But Kingdom Hearts was something else. You got a game where Cloud from Final Fantasy VII hung out with Hades from Hercules. And meanwhile, you played this action game where a boy named Sora wielded a keyblade. I couldn't afford the game, but I rented it as many times as it took to beat it. And at the end, I thought, that was cool. I mean, it was kind of hard to follow, and it didn't make a ton of sense. But it did the thing I asked for. I got to fight monsters, and also villains like Jafar, Maleficent, and Oogie Boogie. How naive I was. Even the first game the Disney Worlds were oddly irrelevant to the story. When Mickey Mouse closed the door to darkness, I thought it felt more like a tip of the hat than an important beat. By the second game, Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories, it had lost focus. Then, Kingdom Hearts 2, the third game, starts with three hours of a completely unrelated storyline focused on a boy in an idyllic faraway town. This is not happening. It can't be happening. By the time I possessed a copy of a thing called Kingdom Hearts 2.8 Final Chapter Prologue, I felt like I was losing my mind. So many worlds have been lost, and now they're trapped here in the dark. That game is a compilation of three different games, none of which are called Kingdom Hearts 3, but all of which are important to the Kingdom Hearts canon, the lore, its essence. Sure, designer Tetsuya Nomura could have given us more of the Lion King, or even one of the many Final Fantasies, but instead he wished to drown us all, along with the game's main character, Sora. Sorry, I got nothing. What did you expect? I sat in the thick broth of mythos in anticipation of this newest game, Kingdom Hearts 3, the 10th game in the series. So Kingdom Hearts 3 came out today, January 29th. Yep. Can you explain uh, what happens in these games? Like, if it's if it's that odd, then maybe people could use a primer. No, I, I, I can't. Like, there's literally no way I or anyone or God himself can succinctly describe Kingdom Hearts. Well, what about, like, what do they need to know for Kingdom Hearts 3. Let's bring it down to the bare essentials. Okay, any plot explanation has to start with hundreds of years ago, but I do have an alternative for you. I want to give people an idea how this series, ostensibly for kids, gets as complicated as it does. I have a selection of Kingdom Hearts memes and tweets that you can pick through and for me to explain best I can. Have you have you looked through them? I've looked through these tweets. There's some really choice ones. There's a bunch of Final Fantasy children talking about being broke, which is honestly very relatable. Then my first question. Okay. What is being norted? Okay, so this one I think comes from... Uh, Brian Gilbert. Yes, Brian Gilbert over from Polygon. And he tweeted the famous line... Um, I will I- never allow my children to know what it means to be norted. So, the bad guy of Kingdom Hearts is like... Well, he's really old. And he has the ability to possess other people's bodies. Now, is Xehanort a Disney character? No. Is he related to any Disney characters? No. He's also not a Final Fantasy character. He's not a Final Fantasy character either. He kind of just comes from Tetsuya Nomura's mind, his mm-hmm. spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has the ability, and he does multiple times over the course of a series, to possess bodies. So he does that with a character named Terra, and later on, but also earlier on in the series, um, he possesses a boy named Riku, 
and uh, makes him wear a gimp costume. He possesses Riku earlier in the series, but later in the timeline, right? Exactly. Because he possesses... Terra is the first boy he possesses. Exactly. Terra is the first boy he wears like a coat. So Terra is a character who... Um, so there's a thing... To wield a Keyblade, you need to pass a mark of mastery. And um, that's like a test. And the problem is Terra has darkness in his heart. So he failed his mark of mastery. And then... Basically, he fell to, to Xehanort's, um, to his lies, and Xehanort then took over his young body, because Xehanort was an old man 10 years before the series started, and then when he became Terra Xehanort, he then became the main character of the first series, Ansem, who is not actually Ansem, but is a man posing as a scientist named Ansem, who um, is, in fact, the discoverer of the main series bad guy, uh, the Heartless. Does that make sense? No. Okay. But we don't have all day, which will bring me to my second question. Why are there 13 people in identical robes? So, the, the, the thing, Kingdom Hearts is a thing. It's like an object that contains potentially all light, but also potentially all darkness. So, where is Kingdom Hearts? Because that actually, I know a bit about Kingdom Hearts lore. Where is Kingdom Hearts? Where is the thing? It's behind the door to darkness. Okay. Where is the door to darkness? Uh, it, it's at a pl- in the game. It's at a place called the end of the world. I literally, I don't know what that means. It's a void in space. Okay, so it's just somewhere. It's somewhere in space. And there's thirteen dudes. So, in order to open the door to light, you need one of th- you need a couple things. Mm-hmm. You can either um uh you can either smash two boys into each other okay. and hope that that unleashes the kingdom hearts, or you can gather up the seven princesses of the heart, which all together are there. It's like six Disney princesses, and then like um, Jasmine, um, uh, Sleeping Beauty, uh, Snow White, like all of these princesses, sure. and then also one Tetsuya Kingdom Nomura Hearts OC. Yeah, OC, original character. Do not steal. Uh, <laughs> um, you can gather those up, and that opens the door to darkness. Or you can get thirteen people um, who. Are who are evil who have keyblades to fight other seven people who are of of pure heart, right? And that also potentially opens the kingdom. Why are there so many ways to open this door? Um, it seems like a bad locking mechanism. It's not well explained. Okay, that's that's the reason there are thirteen men in robe. Also, is because uh, you're looking particularly at the, the the second tweet here on this list, which has this clip where. Got, we got here a uh, a picture of a bunch of men on chairs, um, call, where where they say, "When was the last time any of us felt anything?" So these thirteen boys have depression, and okay, basically, relatable. Basically, they are there. So when you create a heartless, the bad guy of the first game, it actually creates this other thing called a nobody. Mm-hmm. And these there are thirteen nobodies who are the evil people. But the evil people lose, and then Xehanort needs thirteen more evil people. In any case, at any time there are thirteen bad guys who are called nobodies, um, and they potentially have the capacity to open Kingdom Hearts once they open the door to Kingdom Hearts once they um, they kind of clash with, okay. with pure of heart people i also see in here is a tweet of mickey asking uh say fellas did someone mention the door to darkness <laughs> and i guess we've already covered the door to darkness i just wanted to sit talking to mickey mouse voice 
Okay. Um, my second question is, now, now, based on what I've seen about Kingdom Hearts 3, you described sort of an end-of-the-world apocalyptic scenario. Yes. Sora seems rather cheerful. What's his deal? So, Sora is a boy from this place called Destiny Islands, and he is mostly known for being this idiot who likes Kairi. Mm-hmm. And Ky- Kairi is the woman of the, of the main trio, which is... Um, Sora, who's optimistic, Riku, who is pessimistic, and Kairi, who's a girl. Right. And Riku was the original person who was supposed to wield the Keyblade. But in trying to escape his home world of Destiny Islands, he opens um, a path to darkness, which is not the same as the door to darkness. It's okay. just a pathway through which darkness can enter. And in doing so, he voided his right to wield a Keyblade. Because at- he like touched the darkness? Yes. He and, got tainted? And, and then he had to work his way back into into lights good graces I don't know anyway but wait why do all the bad guys have keyblades then that's a good question that's a great because I've never really thought about this there's a lot so okay there's also this thing where it's like there are two ways to get a keyblade the keyblade can choose you okay or you can be you can be chosen by another keyblade wielder got it so Xehanort can bestow upon other people keyblades but because of that I think he can also take them away but he was already a good so he was a good guy at one point no so you don't necessarily have to be good to wield a keyblade you just have to be given so somebody who was good gave Xehanort the ability to exactly. use a keyblade last question we sort of we touched on this so what's Mickey up to because Mickey just seems to be around and also as one of these tweets implies a cosmic force so mickey's face unrelated to mickey is uh as a thing called a lucky charm um and it's like a sacred object that gets attached to a lot of items there's no real mythological reason for this other than apparently people just like the idea of two circles and then a bigger circle attached to each other in a way that looks like two big ears on a smaller face on a larger face rather Mm -hmm. um and there's Mickey himself um, seems to be not understanding this, but he works with a wizard known as Yen Sid, which is Disney backwards. Right. Um, he's from the, Yen Sid is from the game from the the film Fantasia, and he gets trained in the art of um, wielding a keyblade, and in fact becomes a keyblade master and is responsible in the first game for closing the door to darkness. Mickey's really the grand mocker in in, oh. in the, the Keyblade uh, good guy side. He's the one who's, like, leading the charge of, like, here's what the heroes should do. Right. Sora's really a bit player. He just happens to be a bit player who is, like, the strongest guy on the team. Mm-hmm. So it's like, M- Mickey's the one who's like, yo-hoo, you gotta go beat up Xehanort, Sora! Right, and Sora's just, like, the muscle-bound idiot who's like, well, yes, Mickey, of course I will do this. You're Mickey. Yeah. You're you're the person you're the, the capitalist emblem of of this whole series. This is the god of all these these fictions. We ha- right. we have to follow you. Right. So basically, what I've learned, Sora doesn't really deserve to be the protagonist, but he is anyway. Yep. Mickey is really in charge here. Yep. And the bad guy just his plan simply doesn't make sense, or at least is predicated on very bad locking of Kingdom Hearts. So it's it's that, and also like. At, at some point, he just gives up and makes 10 time-traveling versions of himself. Right. Okay, that that one, listen, that checks out. I have one last question for you. Yeah. And this is something I say to somebody who played Kingdom Hearts 1. I, guess I didn't play Kingdom Hearts 1. Okay, my experience with Kingdom Hearts 1 is that my friend at, in, in, the, in grade school and middle school, eh, not really middle school, mostly grade school, had a PlayStation 2 and a copy of Kingdom Hearts. And I went over to his house and we played Kingdom Hearts together. A lot. Sure. Or I wish to say I watched him play Kingdom Hearts a lot. Yeah. 
and I was all very confused because I joined the experience about halfway through, and then I played Chain of Memories and thought it was pretty fun, and then kind of fell off the boat for a long time. Yeah. And my question is very, is very simply, so what happened to Final Fantasy? Because that was like a big <laughs> part of it in Kingdom Hearts 1, and they're just like, gone. So Final Fantasy characters are basically incidental to this world. So it starts out as like, um, in the first game, uh, Ansem, who is Xehanort, um, but, but is not actually Ansem, uh, has destroyed the home world of the Final Fantasy characters, uh, uh, known as Radiant Garden, and the, because the Radiant Garden gets destroyed, it, re- it reverts to this this ruin known as um, the Hollow Bastion, and that's where kind of Ansem and his cronies hang out. The thing is, uh, they revive, they restore Radiant Garden in the second game, and then it becomes the site of a major battle. But after that, more or less, people are just really invested in making Radiant Garden great again. Okay. And um, there's a whole Radiant Garden Restoration Committee and like Squall, who is known as, he's from Final Fantasy VIII, but goes sure. by Leon because of a character that doesn't exist in this game, but eh, who knows. Um, there's, Cloud um, mostly just likes fighting people and also um, Sephiroth, who is from Final Fantasy VII, um, mostly just hangs out places waiting for Cloud and then occasionally Sora. Okay. So, so basically, they just all went home. They they finished with the plot and went home. Yeah, it's this is a game with nominally Final Fantasy characters now. Um, they mostly stopped mattering as of several games ago. How's Scrooge McDuck, McDuck doing? Oh, he's hanging out. He's in Traverse Town. That's fantastic. That's all I care about. <laughs> okay, so I'm not going to deny you this 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 game story does get a little out of hand. So why have you played so many of them? Well, okay. I have been playing them for ages and never stopped to think, is this video game actually good? It turns out if you just keep playing a thing for a long enough time, you can just be like, this is this is part of my identity. This mm-hmm. is who I am. Yeah. The Kingdom Hearts player. Um, and so I really do struggle to explain the appeal to others. Um, so I did what any good capitalist does when you can't find an easy solution. I outsourced the answer. Um, so from Twitter and a lot of friends of a show, I think I've pulled together a bit of an explanation. I first came across Kingdom Hearts you rented a blockbuster video game or a Rogers video game. So when I kind of saw you playing it, I was like, this is amazing. I want this in my life. So first of all, I talked to my sister who had a lot to say about Kingdom Hearts. It was half because this story for a kid, it made total sense. It was just like, yeah, this kid is going on an adventure. Like, I- I want to do that too. There's Disney. I like Disney. <laughs> I think I've related to different characters as I got older. So when I was young, I despised Ryu. I thought that he was just like, how could he just turn evil and then like try to kill his best friend and he kills like his other best friend and just like, yeah, no, that's fine. Like, this is the path I chose. Like, what do you mean? And and I was just so angry as uh, a kid at this character. But now that I'm older, Riku is the only character I understand. I do not understand most of the the things Sora does because I'm sitting there and I'm like, why? Like, why would that make sense? Or he would ask questions where I'm sitting there like, you already know the answer. Um, so it, it just became really infuriating that this character 
four children was just like, oh yeah, no, 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 I needed like you need a reminder for this. You need like a push to keep going. But like Riku was a character that developed. He he went from one place and went, oh my god, I messed up. I need to figure out what to do to get the heck out of here. I need to figure out what to do to become a better person. And as an adult, and I'm like, yeah, me too. Uh, then I chatted with video game writer Preston Doza, who's been on the show before. Well, I was about nine or ten years old, and two things. One, when you're that age, and it's the early 2000s, and the Disney Renaissance has happened, and you've watched, like, countless movies, that's one appealing factor to it. But for me, I also, around that time, was getting into the Final Fantasy trilogy on the original PlayStation 7, 8, and 9. So I see Final Fantasy characters and uh, Disney characters in the same game. And young me is like, mom, dad, you need to buy that for me. And so they did, and I started playing it that way. It's At its core, it's about the battle between good and evil, light and dark. And that's a really easy way and a common way to um, set up the story. And it was through that, and how should I, how should I say this? The big... The biggest part for me was seeing that battle between good and evil between uh, like play out in the context of the relationship of Sora and Riku. Like I thought Riku was the coolest guy ever when I was like 10, 11 years old. <laughs> this little edgelord in the making. Um, now that I'm older and I'm not like wide-eyed and I don't think that Riku is the coolest kid ever anymore. I played Kingdom Hearts 1 back in May last year. Like, played it again for the first time in well over 14 years. And the writing's real bad. Like, there's there's a lot of bad things about that game. But there's still a part of me, like, when I played that, like, I saw Sora get turned into a Heartless in that scene in um, Hollow Bastion. And I was like, oh, man, like, I still felt like a part of myself be like, oh, no. Like, even though I had seen it play now and I know how really silly and stupid this all is. Like, at my age right now, I know that this is just dumb. <laughs> just really, really dumb, overly complex, convoluted writing. And Tatsuya Nomura really needs to come up with a better way to handle plot points than coming up with three additional plot points. But, like... As silly as it all is, I'm invested in this for better or worse. Like, I still dig it. As crazy as it is. Because there's nothing quite as crazy as this out there in video games, really. Um, and then on top of all of that, we did a bit of a call out for, for tweets and why people like Kingdom Hearts. And here are two that I thought really kind of honed in on what makes the games special. Um, so one is from someone called at X Amai Jelly. It was the first video game I really connected with. I used to watch my sister play and we bond over the game together. Overall, the game really has a special place in my heart. Then there's a heart emoji. Um, and then from X underscore X braised meat. Um, it was a fun piece. It was fun to piece the story together 
and figure out what was going to happen next and picking up on metaphors and cryptic language. In the early days, it was my introduction to the game. In the early days, it was my introduction to game theories and my friends and I spent a lot of time discussing it together. But a lot of the examples you just gave, they're from people who started playing the game as children. We're kind of adults. Should an adult, who is definitely what I am, play Kingdom Hearts 3? So I was also curious about this as someone who started the game as nine. And lucky for us, Reed McCarter and Astrid Rose have been playing all of the important Kingdom Hearts game on their own for their podcast. And they're definitely grown adults. Ah, uh, yes. A natural experiment out in the wild. So what do they think? Well, I, I, I think their impression was mixed. I don't know. I think there is something just like fundamentally compelling about sort of it's going to sound like really mean, but there's something sort of compellingly vulgar about Kingdom Hearts, about this um, these Disney properties. And it very much feels like it should be called properties being slapped together into this with these original characters and these like Final Fantasy characters. And it's this like really large, strange exercise in branding. And then over the years, you just hear that it has this really convoluted mythology and and uh, the plot lines are filled with clones of clones and all these strange terms. And it just, I don't know, with three coming out, I was thinking, I kind of want to know what this thing that I've heard about for a decade plus actually is and just see what it is for myself rather than looking at it from afar and <laughs> and just being like baffled by it. Astrid, how can you best describe the appeal of the series as, I think, someone who got introduced a little earlier on to it? I have a lot of friends who are, like, really smart and good writers, and they're really into Kingdom Hearts. And I think the reason that they're into Kingdom Hearts is because they got into it as kids. And, like, when the first game came out in 2002, um, and I think it sticks with you um, as something that I think at first was very much targeted at a young audience. And then it's one of those things that you just carry with you as you grow up. I do think it's probably a lot more difficult to uh, recapture that kind of appeal for somebody who is getting into it, say, now or in their 20s. Or I'm curious. You guys have played for basically all the important ones. Do either of you like the series? I don't even know anymore, uh, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> like, we, we did this, and it's been... About a year, I'd say, since we started it. And so it's been this background hum of of these games and recording this stuff with Astrid. And probably, I don't know, the sometimes they're just fun in terms of their, their well-put-together games, in terms of them being action games. Um, sometimes the ways that they go off the rails plot-wise are really entertaining sometimes they just make you want to i don't know bang your head against the wall because it's so obtuse like needlessly obtuse um so it wavers and some of them are stronger than others uh but yeah i don't know i don't even know anymore and I, i'm not just <laughs> trying to be like i'm not just trying to like play up exasperation or something i just i honestly i don't know at times I think they're good. At times, I think they're just terrible. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've played um, two of the games, Birth by Sleep and Dream Drop Distance, and I do like playing them. Um, just um, I think that they're 
some of the best design games in the series. And um, as the series goes on, I think they learn more and more lessons about how to make this type of action game. Because if you go back and even play like the first Kingdom Hearts, um, even the remastered one, you can tell that it's fairly rudimentary when compared to the later entries. And so I think it's rewarding to see how that stuff evolves. That said, I'm not like a fan in the in the sense that I am excited for Kingdom Hearts necessarily or plan to really play it. I think you guys do have fun with it, but there was um, there was there was insistence pretty early on that you're you're here to discuss it. You're here to kind of like analyze where you can, um, but it is kind of like I think uh, Greed's description of it is kind of like a a vulgar mess um, that is just kind of like like an an eight uh, what like a magic eye picture that you kind of just like have to stare <laughs> at and get lost in. Um, what makes this a series worth analyzing? So. I think Kingdom Hearts, maybe contrary to what I just said about not being necessarily a fan, I think it it has the same convoluted narrative approach as games that are more traditionally respected. Like, I think Metal Gear Solid and the Resident Evil series also, um, they are similarly difficult to sum up if you have like an actual interest in relaying the events of the story to someone. And I think they also are similarly varied in game design over the course of the series. The Metal Gear and Resident Evil comparison is to say that I think you can get a similar amount out of these, if not in like, I guess like genre terms like Resident Evil or sort of like socio-political terms like Metal Gear Solid. There is a lot in these games about just sort of reaching back to this strangely like pure vision of like friendship that you might have had when you were a kid and stuff like that's sort of like the one the one theme they keep hammering on constantly with every character and all their plot plot beats and their their lines and stuff is this idea of like your friends sort of being what makes you strong and one could say that maybe it doesn't take like 13 games to explore that theme but they do keep finding new ways to sort of reconfigure and test those boundaries. And I think that's sort of interesting for a series this big to have sort of such a, like a simple preoccupation. No, no, I, I was just going to say, I mean, I think what Astrid is saying too, there's, there are things in these games that for sort of out as outlandish as a lot of the stuff can be at times, they have these really pure, simple character moments that are, kind of touching and how awkwardly just like straightforward they are. It's almost like, I don't know, like a Degrassi junior high episode or something where <laughs> the, the writing is really clumsy. The acting is really like not, not there. Everything's sort of embarrassing, but sometimes there's something very truthful about kind of like figuring out identity for these characters who are, you know, fantasy characters, but Sometimes they, the ways that they, with all sorts of contrivances, play around with concepts of self and and how, you know, you develop an identity in adolescence and stuff too, um, through your relationships with your friends and and being bummed out and being really happy and all of these things, they do kind of get that. There's something about the series where it, it, at some point, 
it almost feels like the Disney properties are somewhat beside the point. How does it how does it feel, um, Reed, that to, to watch kind of like these Disney movies kind of put to service for like a someone else's much odder story? It's kind of hilarious, honestly, because it's just so I think there's like this weird perceived reverence with these Disney movies because so many of us get to them when we're kids and then Disney kind of scoops up all these fairy tales and, and legends from across the world and codifies them into the brand, you know? Um, so you have Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, like TM instead of just a fairy tale. And so it's very, you know, the Disney approach to owning uh, imagination and, and sort of childhood where these stories start to feel like they're the proper Disney stories. This is how they should be. And I think the way that Kingdom Hearts, you know, however, in the early 2000s, they managed to get the Liberty Square or Square Enix to take these things and just kind of throw them into their stew, their Final Fantasy anime stew. There is something about that that's like really irreverent and it's very like mashup culture style of of just taking these things that are supposed to be sacrosanct and sort of their own little islands of of their own fiction and just using them the way they want to well maybe that's not fair the original characters and storyline going on is is more interesting than these little disney short stories but having them thrown into this thing gives it this gonzo appeal of, of like here's dumbo being summoned to fight some anime blob monster you know it's you see you see a little clip of that and it's i think enormously funny did you ever feel like the game gets to cheat almost emotionally where it's like it kind of you have seen the good version of this movie that the good version of this story that is attempting to be, be told in microcosm um and you have all the emotions that are attached to that and now it's kind of being used in this other context, but the emotions almost carry forward. Did either of you have that experience? And I guess maybe sort of Astrid. So there's like two things they do with the Disney stuff, which is one is just completely discard, like the story of the, the movie that they take the characters from and just have them like hanging out or whatever. And the second one is to like, just totally recreate the movie they do this with like the note um the hunchback of notre dame and i believe in the new game i think frozen is like that where you're sort of just sora has been like plopped into the background of the movie that you've already seen and he's like doing tasks for people in between major plot points from the movie um i'm not like hugely emotionally attached to disney stuff so i never feel like that when I see a familiar Disney character, but I know there are people who like enjoy seeing, I don't know, the Hundred Acre Wood or Hercules, probably not Jack Sparrow in most cases, um, or Tangled or Ratatouille. Like, I think they throw that stuff in there, and you're right to say that as the series has gone on, the Kingdom Hearts half of it. Like, I think Birth by Sleep is a very, like, a very grim game, sort of. But the 
the Disney stuff seems really incongruous at this point next to the actual plot of the games that is happening around these worlds that you visit. As the game sort of like wind to this conclusion that involves like this, essentially this plan to like kill everyone in a new war, like how that reconciles with like playing Big Hero 6 or whatever. There was in that Kingdom Hearts trailer where they have like the scene from Fro- like the, the the iconic scene from Frozen where like Elsa's like throwing up ice and then like walk like running up and she's about to sing and then it kind of just like pulls back to Sora, Donald, and Goofy also being there and it's just this this wild thing where it's like wait hold on <laughs> like I just I don't know what's happening anymore yeah that's. I, maybe that's the the kernel of of all of this of spending a year playing these goddamn video games is is like that sort of thing. It's just so it's so bizarre. There's like there's nothing else as I don't know. There's nothing else doing that kind of really weird. It doesn't mean other people should be doing it, but no one else is doing it, and so that's worth investigating. So after going through all of these games in some form, who do you think should play Kingdom Hearts 3? I feel like there are a large number of people who know that they're going to be playing Kingdom Hearts 3 because they've been, I don't know, waiting over a decade or whatever. And that sort of gives it like this this sort of like bulletproof status where like they're probably not going to wait for like what the critics say about it or whatever, they're just going to play it because it's the third proper game in the series and they've been waiting for a long time. I really don't know how to recommend, necessarily how to recommend it to someone who's like not into the series. I don't know if it's going to be the place to start. I'm assuming that like it will be the most high fidelity of any of them just because it's on a new system and all that stuff. But like, as far as if you can step into like the third installment of this ever expanding story, I really, I'm not sure. Um, I think if like the idea of like mixing it up with these new Disney worlds is appealing to you, that might be an in because it's hard to sell it on the appeal of like the actual original story stuff and the original characters. And I think they know that. And I think that is why the Disney stuff has persisted in the games for so long, even though if you took it out, this would just be sort of like a a JRPG, like it would be like a Final Fantasy or Lost Odyssey or something. But the Disney stuff gives it a hook that broadens its appeal a lot. I wonder, though, like, I think Astrid is right that if you recommended this to someone who just really loves Disney stuff, but then they're going to fire this thing up and probably have to sit through, you know, an hour or two of to what to them is probably just complete gibberish. I guess the real answer is that I would recommend this game to adults. I don't think it's for children um, because I, I don't think children need more of this in their lives. Um, <laughs> I think it's for adults who own Frozen or... Mickey Mouse pajama pants, I think are probably the ideal demographic for this game. But you have to, I think you honestly, you have to have played the other games first. You have to commit. 
you can't it's like you're not going to read the last volume of in search of lost of lost time um, and 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 think you know what's going on you have to commit kingdom hearts is not it's not uh it's not something to enter into lightly it's a, it's a lifestyle it's an <laughs> i don't know i am like half joking i'm half serious that's the best i can do i think with this thing <laughs> the- have you reconsidered your position? Because I remember, like, pretty early on in the first episode, you're set, you 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 tell Astrid, um, uh, I feel like I'm about to talk to you about the baby game I just played. This, um, <laughs> have, you, have you reconsidered that position, that this is a baby game for babies? Uh, no, it's not for babies. That was a mistake. <laughs> the, the first one is suitable <laughs> for babies. It's for, it's for adults. It's, these are adult games. Um... I don't think kids need more imaginative time monopolized by, you know, Disney branded projects. I have one more question and it may be the most challenging. What is Kingdom Hearts about? The way I would go about it, I think, um, is there's like a kid named Sora and he has two really good friends. And one day they're sort of like confronted with this new reality. And there's like a very clear villain that appears and, they decide with the help of Mickey Mouse, Donald, Goofy, Yen, Sid, and like Jiminy Cricket to, <laughs> to like fight this villain. And that is sort of the core conflict that goes through every game. And part of it is the story about like Riku and Sora essentially becoming knights to fight this guy. The other part of it is all the girls in the game getting like kidnapped or trapped in hell or whatever it is disappeared totally (laughs) um but that's pretty much it like there's some heroes and some villains and um everything else is just sort of like details (laughs) i see the kingdom in the sky and the kingdom in your heart you got the key to reach every dream so you had it from the start Strong enough to beat every challenge, good enough to reach every palace. And with the team, we can do anything. I mean, everything within everything. So, uh, huge thanks to Reed McCarter and Astrid Rose for talking to us about Kingdom Hearts for like an hour. Reed McCarter is a freelance writer. Astrid Rose is an editor for Unwinnable. So, should you play Kingdom Hearts? I mean, you can. It's a fun video game. You get to wield the Keyblade. Um, but just know you'll be as lost as the rest of us. Turn into a chain of memories. Those memories have a tendency to break every wall. Whether short or tall, that's your destiny. Every step is a path you take to your legacy. From CGRU, this has been Built to Play. I'm Armin Bali. And I'm Daniel Rosen. You can follow us on Twitter at Built to Play or visit our website, builttoplay.ca. You can also find us on Facebook, but hey, if you really like the show, be sure to tell a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or literally anywhere that does reviews. Like, it can really help us out. If you like today's show, send us an email at builtplayshow at gmail.com. It'd be great to hear about your favorite Kingdom Hearts fan theory. You can follow me personally at Flarkon. That's F-L-A-R-K-C-O-N. And I'm at Daniel underscore Rosen. And remember, we're what's left, or maybe we're all that ever was. Thank you so much for listening. That is an actual line from Kingdom Hearts. It really is. 